0: There's some uh, there's some mornings where I'm more aware than other mornings that I need to worship. You know what I mean? And um, God's really good. And for me, this morning when I woke up, I was like, I, I need not as a pastor, not as someone who's going to speak like I as like Matt, son of the King. I just need to worship like like I'm a little oxygen deprived. And so thanks for um, thanks for that worship team. Thanks for that church that I needed that. And uh, God is good. So I've got two questions for you. One has to do with the ornament that you are wondering what you're supposed to do with. Here's what you're supposed to do with that. I want you to answer the question by drawing or writing or a symbol. You can share Sharpies. We uh, we have some, some extra questions one's over here, all kinds of stuff. What do you treasure? That's the question. What do you treasure? And so go ahead and draw that, write that, make a symbol that you know what the symbol means. This is what do you treasure? Okay? And you've got the entire message time. So you've got 75 minutes to make this this drawing. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not seven or five or 75. Either one, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. And here's the other question I'm wondering if you can answer aloud to me. What has God used to guide you? In your life, what has God used? And this is like an interactive thing. I know it's weird when a white person asks for that, but that's what I mean. Like, talk back to me. What has God used in your life... To guide you. A mentor. A mentor. I, I, there was a bunch of things, but I didn't hear it well. Fear. Fear. Pain. Challenging yeah, challenging relationships. People. People. Your kids, amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Finances. Finances, yeah. One of the biggest gifts for me this year... Uh, No, the biggest gift for me this year, honestly, has been you guys, has been walking through Scripture with you. And God's changed me a lot, and God's guided me and spoke to me a lot different this year. Um, And I think in large part because I've been okay with that, you know? Like sometimes we're just not okay with God doing certain things. And, And been like, okay, God, let me hear you. Let me sense you at work, and it's some of these very things that we just spoke of that God's been really guiding me and healing me and this kind of thing in ways that I have not always been open to. So there's this, this uh, Christmas-sounding social psychologist term that I want you to know, and it's this. There's this thing called cognitive miser. Doesn't that sound like a weird Christmas? There's this idea of a cognitive miser, and these social psychologists have said that we all do this. It's the fact that there is so much data for us to pay attention to, even in this room alone, that we have to start segmenting things and we have to guess and we have to compartmentalize and form categories and shortcuts for us to even make sense of all the data that we take in, and so like when we meet somebody, we automatically assume a bunch of stuff about uh, other people, and it's it's where stereotypes come from, and that's a really dangerous thing when we hold people into these categories. But the reason that they actually form is because we've got to do something with the data, and then every t- every once in a while we run into some information that doesn't fit the data, right? So. The thing that I think of most in that, when you run into something, you meet somebody, and then it really doesn't fit. I was in an airport one time, and I was talking to this person. I've been talking to them for a little while, and they were like some really smart scientist kind of person. And they introduced me to their co-worker, who was this Asian-American man. And I shook his hand, and he said, how y'all doing today? (laughs) I was like, who, what? (laughs) It was like the most shocking like Alabama Southern drawl came out of this Asian American scientist. And I was like, I'm a horrible person. I would not have put that voice with that man. And that's like I wouldn't do that because of uh, this cognitive miser thing where we just fit categories and we have these different things. I realized when it comes to the Christmas story, I'm a bit of a cognitive miser. Everyone fits in these certain spots and has these certain roles. And in my mind, everybody comes to the manger at the same time because that's the way every little nativity set I've ever had is, right? And everybody's like playing out there and there's like a couple extra goats and sheep, but that's about it. But it's not that way. And when we come to... To me, the most mind-blowing characters the wise men. All the categories that I put God in and all the categories that I put people who seek him in are just blown away. And to me this year, that is some of the best news of the Christmas story. We're going to look at Matthew 2. And if you've got a device, open it up. The words will be on the screen. Of course, the first two verses start like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. I love this. This is after he's born. This isn't to the stable. They're going to Jerusalem. But all of this, these wise men from the east. Now, the east at this time is known for wisdom. We we see when Solomon, you, you may know the story of Solomon. He gets to ask God for what he wants. He asks for wisdom. And Solomon is compared to the wise men in the east. Like he's that wise that he is like them. But there's this interesting thing because this is a this is a Jewish story, right? So the wisdom of this comes from Yahweh. Right. Comes from their understanding of Yahweh. Right, right, right. And so all the wisdom of the Psalms, of, of Proverbs, of all this kind of stuff is how man is to interact with their God. And then there's this wisdom in the East, which is just unexplained to us. They're just wise. And we don't know a ton about this wisdom. And that makes me extremely uncomfortable. And so they come to find Jesus. But how do they come? They come through astrology. That kind of freaks me out a little bit, if I'm honest. They're coming through astrology following a star. They're following this message from a star, and they're following it for a really, really long time. And they follow this star, and they go in and meet the king who's in charge, Herod, who's in charge of Jerusalem. He is Roman. And they come to him and say, hey, we are coming to see the king of the Jews, who Herod is in charge of. And they're like, oh, really? You came all that way to see me? And like, no, no, not you. Little baby king he's like, really? What are you talking about? Oh, the star told me. Really? The star told you. And you listened. But somehow Herod believed it. Because if you go down in the chapter a little bit, he says, hey, any, here's what you do, army. Any baby under two, go eliminate it. There's no... There's no king about to happen here. Those wise men who are wise came following a star. I don't get it, but they said that there was a baby that was born, so any baby under two, get rid of it because I am king. There was something to this that caught Herod's attention. And then these wise men from the east who are believing in astrology and following the stars and the message of the stars that goes on. And in verse 9... We see that after listening to the king, Herod, they went on their way and behold, my favorite Christmas word, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts Gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They followed this star, and this star was apparently moving, right? And then it came to rest over a house. I don't know how stars do that. I don't get that. Like, I like to look at them that much, but honestly, most of my time is spent in cities. We don't see stars real well, Right? This star came to rest over a home, and they saw that it was starting to slow down and rest, apparently. So they get more excited about all of this. And then they meet this child, and they bow down and worship this child from a different place. People group who is the Messiah for these different people, and they offer up these gifts, and then they, they fall asleep, and in a dream they get a warning not to go back to the king, like the king had said, and they obey their dream. Right, that's right. Like this is different stuff than us right now. Right. I talk to people about dreams. We usually credit pizza. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly, we, we, you, I've, I have sat with people who are like, I feel like God was saying something to me last night. I wonder what I ate. Because that is like how deep this like cognitive miser is to us. God speaks on Sunday mornings and when we open the Bible, but when I fall asleep, apparently God can't speak anymore. Only pizza does. <laughs> apparently we give that part of our life over to Diet. Weird, right? Weird. How often does God guide us the way that he guided these wise men? How often does God intersect with our lives in ways that we just, we don't notice? How often does he take our, our crooked intentions and understandings and beliefs and things that are are not necessarily him, and still meet us through that because he's gracious and good, and loving. You see, I often in my life remember worship experiences and Bible verses and studies that have changed me because that fits into the categories that I have surrendered to. This is how God moves. But there's a whole other set of things. When I was in middle school, I, I Jesus. This guy was praying for me. His name was Grant. I was kind of a punk. I didn't want to be there. And he said, hey, can I pray for you? And I knew that praying was like the end. So I was like, this conversation will be over if you pray for me. So he prayed for me. And somehow Grant was not there. Jesus was. And I was like, that is real, whatever that is. And if you know me, you know how crazy this is. I decided I was just going to go run. I don't run. But in that moment, I ran. I ran. And I just ran around. I just had tons of energy in life because I was like, this is something different. He said Jesus, and I met him. Yeah. All right. All right. Just a couple weeks later, I'm a middle schooler. A couple weeks later, I had, I had like found the Bible that was in my room. My, my family was very moral but was not like Jesus-loving, I had found the Bible trying to read it, and someone said, what are you going to do when you grow up, Matt? And I said, I'm going to go to college for two years. I'm going to get married, and I'm going to be a pastor. And they're like, <laughs> for real? I was like, no, I think that's what I'm going to do. Who told you? I don't know. I found it in here. That's not like in like 2 Matthew 1, 9 or something. Oh, well, it must be. And I just said that. My mom was like, hey, I hear that you're telling everyone you're going to college for two years, getting married, and then you're going to be a pastor. Yeah, I am. No, you're going for four years. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. (laughs) That whole thing for like three years, right? Sure enough, I go to college for two years. I get married, become a pastor. And I say, God is so good, he fulfilled that. My mom said, no, whole Pygmalion effect. We know that. You just prophesied that on yourself. Like, maybe God was in that. Maybe somewhere when I was reading this, he said, Matt, for these years, I'm setting you apart. You don't have to go and wonder and wander. You're mine. Maybe he just sets us apart. I remember I was pastoring at this church, and it was this, like, church that I loved, but it was this suburban white context that a lot of us know from experience or from seeing. And it w- we were just like, hey, God loves you and makes you moral. And that's what we knew of the gospel. And part of my job was I was friendly to homeless people. Really. I, I was really good at getting them out of our building and smiling and smiling. This is sad, but it's true. They would come into the building. Someone would call for Matt. I would come in, and I would, ha, 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 And the next thing we know, we'd be outside, and they'd have something warm to eat or something. But, like, they'd be out of our building because that didn't fit with who we thought that we were. And this man named Bam Bam came up, and Bam Bam smelled like he'd been outside for, like, a jillion years. And he had this big leg brace on, and he came in bawling. And I was like, what's your real name? And he said, I go by Bam Bam. I'm like, okay, Bam Bam, why are you crying? I thought it was his knee, or I thought that he was drunk, or I thought, I don't know. I thought 50 horrible things is what I thought. And he was crying because he had a dog that was thirsty and cold. And I remember saying, Bam Bam, why do you care about that dog? Like, you, your life's, this is what I said, because I'm stupid. Well, your life's a mess. Why are you caring for that dog? He said, that dog is all I have. That dog needs food and water, and it's cold. And if you can't care for me, will you at least care for my dog? God somehow met me with Bam Bam, where we set up a weekly meeting. It was was like Mr. Wendell. I bought him a cup of soup, and we sat down in Acoustic Cafe, and he taught me about life, and I paid for his lunch. And we met every week, because I was like, you know something of life that I don't know. You know something of God's faithfulness and you don't even proclaim it yet, but I don't know that. And God met me at Acoustic Cafe every week with Bam Bam. I've been reflecting on the story of one church and Jamel has become one of my best friends in in life, like the guy that I want to do ministry with right beside. You know how that happened. Many of you know it happened because we were grieving. We lost a dear friend. I was like, if Jeff matters to you and he matters to me, maybe we should get to know each other. And we we had seen each other, but kind of at the funeral, no lie, at the funeral, he was like, hey, you want to get coffee? And like, yeah, we probably should. Somehow, as we're grieving, God forms not just a friendship. Friendships are important. He forms something that becomes this, right? Because we're grieving. God's met me over and over in my Jeep. I think my Jeep is my sanctuary. And I turn on some music, and God meets me there, and there's something about I can pray and yell and then do that kind of praying when you say nothing. And God speaks. And it's like real prayer. And God meets me in the Jeep, and the Jeep becomes a sanctuary, and it is different, and I just pull in somewhere, and God stirs my soul and reminds me of who he is and who I am. I remember there was a time I was praying that God would heal me with some friends, and this friend was praying for me specifically, and all of a sudden, God gave me a memory of when I was in high school, and I was in a hospital, and my parents had to leave, and I had a messed up lung and some broken ribs, and I remember I fell out of the hospital bed, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I probably could physically breathe, but you know how sometimes like anxiety and pain and all that kicks in and I'm on morphine, I felt like I could not breathe and I was alone. And I remember there was a chair by the window and I'm praying that God would heal me and heal this need that I have, this over need to not be alone. And God showed me a picture of that hospital room and showed me that chair. And I had this sense deep in the core of who I was that he was sitting in that chair. And this thing of never being alone was like, oh, get out. I never was. And he started to heal that. That doesn't fit in my normal boxes. That fits much more in the astrology and dream part, right? right. right? When I remember and when I tell this, this is where the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony fits in. This is where the kingdom of God blows up and changes everything, right? This is where God meets me over and over. But here's the thing. Why does it matter? To me, this Christmas, it matters because I keep reading about Aleppo. And I've never been there. But I keep seeing pictures and reading stories and imagining life there. And I don't know the religious history of every individual there. But I imagine that there is not time or energy to intellectually discuss the different facets of God. I imagine that there's not time for that. Instead, I find myself feeling for these people who are just fleeing in fear. And I find myself begging God to meet them any way that he can. If it's in a dream, if it's through a star, if it's through a relationship, however you need to meet these people, will you please bring peace and not like some tiny fake peace, but will you bring real peace? I think of whether that's through someone like Bam Bam or a dream, a star, however he wants to do it, will you please let them experience you, Jesus? Why do they need to experience Jesus? For the same reason we do. Just a reminder, when Jesus first comes into ministry, he picks up a scroll and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was fulfilled years ago, and that is desperately needed today in Aleppo, in this city How bad do we need that in this city? But here is my question for you. If God is as vast and as grand as we say that he is, and we sing that he is, and that we believe, then isn't everything at his disposal to be used to lead us to himself? Absolutely everything. And so can we let him? Can we let him? Can we ask him to do that? This city desperately needs healing. This city needs rest and peace from the violence, from from the blame, from all of these kinds of things. And he might not use marches, he might not use, he can use what he wants to use. So let's be the people who pray and plead and gather in the name of Jesus and let him use what he wants to use to let his kingdom come in very, very real ways. There's families hurting this Christmas. You guys, I realize as a dad, I've got five kids who have real pain, right? It's part of the hard part of being a parent. You watch your kids in real pain. And I have been off way too often by saying, hey, this is what I would need of Jesus. So let me give you what I would need. And it's not what my kids need because they're different than I. And I find myself praying different, like, hey, these A plus B equals C formulas. I try. They don't work, Jesus. So will you just meet my kids the way that you meet my kids, and I'll add my amen, and you do what you want with them, because I love them, but I don't know how to even show them I love them sometimes. I think of my friends who are hurting. I I can't heal, but you can, and you can use what you want to use. You can do what you want to do. That's our Jesus. See, he's the one who sets the star in the sky to guide. He's the one who gave dreams of warning to David, to Peter, to John. In Revelation, we read this, right? I mean, we've been hoping on these very words as John said that after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in that multitude... Children from Aleppo and families from Louisville and my friends in Ethiopia and places that I don't even know yet. You see, this Christmas, I'm seeing something different because of these wise men. Like them, I want to follow however God leads. And I'm grateful that we have the Holy Spirit, right? who leads from within. John 14, Jesus says that we have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into peace and we can trust the way that he leads. So like the wise men, let our stories look like his. And I want to read the end of of the section in Matthew again. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him and then opening their treasures they offered him gifts this is us guys you see Herod was coming after all the children and the wise men were far from home and yet they rejoiced exceedingly their joy and anticipation grew In the face of obstacles, in the face of challenges, in the face of all that, their joy, their anticipation grew as they followed where Jesus led them. And they opened their treasures. And they gifted Jesus. It's a little... Little ornaments, if you didn't draw on them now, draw on them when you go home. That's to go on your tree. That's to remember, these are the things that you treasure, the very things that you get to lay before the feet of the good, good king. And this Christmas, we're invited to follow Jesus' lead and lay down whatever we treasure and trust that as we do that, our joy will ever increase. And if you're like me, that's that's what the soul is desperate for. We're going to celebrate this in a moment. We're going to sing a song of worship. In the back is, we have communion prepared. I've told you before, communion has become my favorite part of our service. As we gather at the table and we take a piece of bread. Remember that was his body and we take the cup and remember that was his blood and we remember that he loved us so much that he made sure that everything was done so that he could pursue us however he wants to pursue us he can find us however we are found and he can bring peace on earth like he's always proclaimed so I want to pray over us then you're invited to his table and let's let's close in worship okay let's pray here Jesus thanks for who you are. Thanks that you're not done liberating. Thanks that you're you're not done bringing peace. I pray really that you would speak through the stars, that you would speak through our dreams, that you would that we would pause long enough in our prayer to hear you. And we would recognize your voice, that we would celebrate all the ways that you break through our day. We would add our amen, and we would leave transformed because you're that present and that good. This is all for you in your name.